good evening. So um, we could begin with a, um, a sitting that uh, starts out as a very brief, very partial body scan, and then moves um, somewhere around halfway into um, a kind of more general awareness of the body. So we'll be looking at spots in the body to begin with, feet, knees, lower back, as we usually do. And then we'll begin um, widening our awareness so that we're holding um, in our awareness multiple areas of the body as a whole, and then just a sense of the body sitting um, in an open kind of way. So um, let's um, just please get into a comfortable position. And in case any of you are new to meditation practice, I think just a couple of key things are to make sure that the body is upright, <clears throat> uh, straight back, and an open front so that the breath can move freely in and out of the body, but not rigidly upright. You don't want to be stiff. You want the body to be soft. You might just take a few slow, deep breaths. Feel the upper body inflate, fill up with air. And let your awareness dwell on the out breath, which is nice and slow and easy. Now let your breath begin to come and go at its own rhythm, its own pace, not intentionally lengthening it. Just letting the breath be whatever depth and speed it wants to be. It can be shallow, it can be deep, it can be uneven. There's no right or wrong. Let the breath just feel its own way, find its own way and just follow it, relinquishing control as much as possible. And let's please bring our awareness to the soft tissue on the inside of the tip of our nostrils. Just feel the sensations there in the inside of the tip of your nose, produced by the breath as it passes in and out of your body. And at first, the sensations of the breath in the nose may be very subtle, hard to discern. Just leave your awareness parked there in the tip of your nose. 
And just feel the breath as much as you're able to. Perhaps you can notice how the breath feels cooler as it enters the body and warmer as it exits the body, having been warmed up by the lungs. Try to feel with as much granular detail as possible, the subtle shifts in the sensations in the nose as the breath passes over the soft tissue of the nose, of the nostrils. Notice how those sensations change, if only very subtly, throughout the course of each in-breath and out-breath. Doesn't feel the same every single moment. There are subtle changes, moment by moment. Now please bring your awareness to the center of your chest, the breastbone area. And feel the sensations produced here as your chest rises and falls with each breath. Perhaps your chest feels tight, even hard. Some of you, the chest may feel raw or tender. There's no right or wrong. Just notice how the sensations feel in the chest as you breathe. And of course, from time to time, the mind will wander away, become distracted, lose track, the breath or the body. Once you notice that that's happened, just acknowledge it. Notice what kind of thought or emotion or sensation has pulled you away from whatever you've been attending to and gently but firmly bring your awareness back in this case, to the breath. Please remember there is nothing wrong with the mind being pulled away. The key is just to notice when that has happened. And then gently remind your awareness to come back.
Now let's bring our awareness into our belly, especially the lower belly, below the belly button. And notice the sensations in the belly that are produced by the breath. For some of you, the belly will move substantially as you breathe in and out. For others, very little. Perhaps your breathing is mostly in your chest, and that's fine. We're not trying to force the breath into the belly. Just be aware of how the belly feels, no matter how it feels. Now, please bring your awareness to the soles of your feet. What kind of sensations can you feel along the soles of your feet? Just notice with curiosity, openness. Feel any tingling, any spots of tension. Perhaps you feel sensations you wouldn't even know how to describe in words. Just feel them, no need to find a label. Notice how the sensations are different in different places along the soles of your feet. And notice how the sensations, no matter how they feel, can change with time. A certain sensation may stay for a little while, but it will likely eventually change somewhat. And just notice how the sensations alter as you continue to be aware of them. Now, please bring your awareness to your buttocks. And to begin, just notice the sensations produced by the contact between your bottom and whatever is supporting its weight. Feel the pressure produced by the contact between your bottom and the seat beneath you. What spots along your bottom are bearing more weight? feel more pressure. What does that pressure feel like at the level of sensation?
Now let your awareness move into the muscles of this area, the glutes. Kind of sensations can you feel in your own glutes? It's not uncommon for people to hold some residual tension in these muscles. Perhaps you can notice some areas of tension in your glutes. Just let that tension be there. We're not trying to feel any particular way. We're not trying to relax these muscles. Just let whatever sensations you discover be there. This is awareness without any agenda. Now please bring your awareness to your lower back. Some of us may have some lower back pain. Maybe lower back feels uncomfortable in some way. Try to let your awareness be soft. Make room for whatever sensations, even sensations of discomfort, pain that you may encounter here or anywhere in the body. You might notice if there is any discomfort, kind of tightening up around that pain. Just notice that, how it feels at the level of sensation. Now let's bring our awareness to our upper back, in particular the area between our two shoulder blades. What kind of sensations can you feel there in the area between your shoulder blades? Let your awareness be soft, receptive, gently receiving however the body feels. Can you notice any movement in the upper back associated with the breath? 
as you breathe in and out? Can you feel any expansion in this area between your shoulder blades? Now, please bring your awareness to the very top of your head. What kind of sensations can you feel there? The scalp along the crown of your skull? Any pressure? Any tingling? Just notice how it feels. Now let's explore our forehead area. In particular, what can you feel in that spot between your two eyebrows? This is the area we can scrunch up when we're particularly worried or thoughtful, really puzzled about something. In many traditions, spiritual traditions, this area is also associated with the third eye, an energy center. How would you characterize the energy that you can feel in this area between your two eyebrows? And now let's explore the sensations in and around our eyes. So the tissue around our eyes, that's what we use to direct and focus our gaze. We spend a lot of time reading or looking at screens. These muscles and connective tissue get a lot of work. Perhaps you can feel some strain or fatigue in and around your eyes. Just notice how it feels. Let your awareness just receive and hold however it feels. And now let's bring our awareness to our jaw muscles, the muscles that we use to chew. Some of us carry residual tension in these muscles. Some of us may even grind our teeth at night. And so 
Don't be alarmed if you encounter discomfort or even pain in these muscles. Just a reminder to keep your awareness gentle, soft. Make room for whatever sensations you may encounter, even sensations of discomfort. In particular, sensations of discomfort. Your awareness is infinite, spacious. It has room for anything and everything. Now let's explore the sensations in our tongue. So to start, just notice how the tongue is positioned in your mouth cavity. How is it situated there in your mouth? Is it pressed up against the backs of your teeth or against the top of the mouth cavity? Just notice. What kind of sensations can you feel in the tip of your tongue? The meaty middle part of your tongue, what kind of sensations can you feel there? And now the back end of the tongue, what sensations do you feel there? Now please bring your awareness to your lips. Now I'd like you to bring your awareness to the sensations in your torso as a whole, the belly, the chest, the lower and upper back. Feel the breath. Just feel the sensations this whole part of your body. Naturally, certain sensations will seem more pronounced. You may not feel every single area in the torso simultaneously, that's fine. Just let your awareness in a kind of gentle, open way 
be open to the sensations in your torso as a whole, noticing what calls to your attention, what feels most pronounced. Notice how your awareness may be drawn to particular areas in the torso and then to other places. Now please include in your awareness along with the torso as a whole, the sensations in your head. Feel its weight supported by your neck and the body beneath the neck. Now let your awareness expand a bit further to include your arms. You're feeling your whole upper body, chest, belly, back, arms, and head. Let your awareness be relaxed, just open, receptive, not trying to notice every single sensation. Just feel the upper body as a whole, breathing, sitting. Now please include in your awareness, your legs, your lower body, so that you're feeling the entirety of your body. Certain parts of the body may call to your attention. Let your awareness move there. You don't need to feel everything simultaneously. See where your awareness is called. Let it dwell there for a bit and then let it just feel the body as a whole. And you feel the way the breath suffuses the entire body. It's not just an activity 
involves the chest or the belly or the nose, but can you feel the way the breath moves throughout the entire body, even into the legs? Notice the sound of your breath. Perhaps you can hear a bit of the breath in your throat or your chest. And hear it as you feel it in the body. And so all we need to do, just sit here. Just sit here and be aware of the fact that we're sitting. Feeling the body, feeling the present moment in this way, in the life and activity of our body. Remember the old Zen saying is nowhere to go, nothing to accomplish. It's just this. Just this, our bodies sitting, breathing, being. All right, wonderful. So please feel free to move, get comfortable, get a drink of water. Okay, so what we're doing at the end of that 
practice, just feeling the body as a whole sitting. This is really, I think, um, hmm, I was going to say like the essence of it, but I don't know. I, 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 I worry about that. I might want to take something back. But anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a big part of what we do when we practice. I mean, um, just being with the physical reality of the present moment as much as we can right? in the body, how it manifests moment by moment. Um, this is really the heart of what this practice is about. I think what is interesting for anyone who tries to engage in this kind of practice for any length of time is how little we actually want to do this, um, to just be in the present moment in this way. Um, it sounds really nice. And when we actually like let ourselves slip into moments of this kind of being, it can be wonderful. Um, but even for people who've tasted that kind of peace, that kind of settledness, that kind of presence, still it can be hard um, to stay there. And it's an interesting thing. The mind um, will find some way to pull us out. Um, and I think that One of the places where a certain kind of effort or discipline, but maybe that sounds a little bit harsh, but effort, maybe effort is really, I think, necessary um, when it comes to practice is the effort to not totally let ourselves be carried away by the mind and to return as much as possible to just simply the physical reality of how we are feeling right now, every single moment. And of course that goes for this moment, not just those other moments, right? When we were sitting, you know, you know for the first half hour of our time together, but now every single moment, are you in your body? Are you feeling like um, what is going on in the breath, sensations of the body, right? There's no, there should be no like distinction between the moment where we ended sitting and this part of the class, right? Where I'm talking, it's like, it's, and even for me, right, 
there isn't any distinction. I may be saying things, but the awareness of the body um, is always there, right? I think that what is what is I think or can be can strike us um, when we're in the right kind of state of mind as somewhat startling and sad right, is when we sort of wake up to the fact that um, we don't actually like want to be in the present moment all that often. We don't, and, and another way of putting this like, we don't want actually to be living the life that we have. We are often jumping off into some kind of fantasy, you know, um, some kind of storyline it could be, and by fantasy, I don't mean necessarily a positive fantasy. It could be a fantasy that's characterized by fear as a dominant storyline. But, um, but in a in a very startling way, we there's something that makes it hard to actually stay in our lives. Because when we when we allow ourselves to be carried away by the thoughts or whatever other things that come up and distract us, it's like it's like a kind of gap is introduced between reality or life as it is and um, and this kind of consciousness about our life, a kind of split is introduced. And I think this practice is really, you know, essentially about overcoming that gap, which we feel compelled to introduce over and over again, to once again, become one with the only life that we have, which is this life, right? Um, And then I think something interesting begins to happen when we begin to be able to like dwell in the body, feel it, and then notice that the mind is coming with all sorts of like, oh, I'd rather be thinking about this, or I'm going to worry about that, or I just, I you know, the mind goes into to different places. And then when we can see that and then come back to the physical experience of the body in the present, something starts to happen to 
the pull that those kinds of thoughts have on us. At first, they, those thoughts seem so compelling, right? They seem so real. And I think more importantly, it seems so much like there is a solid thinker, like a solid self that is having those thoughts. Like this is me and I don't want to experience this. Or I want, I would rather be thinking about this other thing, right? And that just seems so compelling and so solid. And I think something interesting happens when we, we, with the kind of effort and discipline that I was talking about, say, okay, noticing that thought, noticing that thought, okay, I'm feeling really sad, but no, let's, let's feel what it feels like in the body instead of like going into this spiral of thoughts about how life is so hard and why aren't things working out for me and why that why is why is that person treating me the way that they should and all this stuff or fear or anger or desire or whatever that the particular storyline may, may be when we can see that those thoughts want to pull us if we can feel that pull and we say but let me just stay with the body let me just see how it's feeling We can experience these moments where it's like really kind of startling, where this train of thought that seemed so real, so compelling, like, I got to find a new partner, or I got to find a new job, or I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I've just got to, I got to like, this is like, you know, something that is just so consuming, suddenly, like, starts to, it just goes, it's just a thought. It's, it's like, it's there, maybe you can sort of hear the thoughts, but it starts to, it stops to have that kind of like intense pull on you. And it can be really, it can be really disorienting because that thought, that set of thoughts that at one moment seem like the most important thing in the world to you, the most real thing can suddenly become like just passing mental phenomena, right? Passing thoughts. And you're like, well, that's so weird. Like, it seems so real. I felt like I had to do something based on those thoughts I was having. And then now it's like, I'm okay. I'm just sitting here. I'm just feeling my body. And I can see that those thoughts are there, that, but they, they no longer have that kind of like compelling quality to them. And then some other moment, they'll get that compelling quality again, and you'll be like, again, spiraling, right? But the weird thing is like, once you experience that shift, where you start to, by returning to the body over and over, you start to create this kind of like sense of, oh, wait, I am not just these thoughts. This, this, internal monologue that seems so real to me, so compelling, like the most important thing I could listen to and think about, now I realize is just actually this kind of thing that I can disengage from. I can like return to the body and the body is the thing. This awareness of the body is more fundamental.
And that puts an entirely different light, like how real those thoughts can feel to you after that, you know, um, where you can be like so full of existential doubt and angst, right? Um, and worry about something. And then you, and then it just kind of like goes poof, like, and it's not, it's not like compelling in that same way anymore. So, um, and it starts to give you a glimpse of what Buddhism means when it talks about the emptiness of the self or the fact that the self that we hold to with so much intensity, right, so, so much attachment may not actually be the ultimate reality about who we are. It's a part of who we are, obviously, but it's not the ultimate truth about who we are. And it actually was, it reminds me of um, this story uh, about the second, what's known as, who's known as the second ancestor of Zen in China. So Bodhidharma is the person who is said to have brought Buddhism from India. He was Indian to China. He settled at Shaolin Temple and um, and started training there on his own. And then other people heard about him and started coming to sort of ask him for, for wisdom, right? Um, and for, for enlightenment. And the second, um, the person who is known as the second ancestor, the person who like became Bodhidharma's Dharma heir, Dharma successor, learned from him and passed on the tradition of Zen, is said to have come to him in great anguish. And he said, I can find no peace. My mind is in anguish. Please help me pacify my mind. And Bodhidharma, and actually that the story is quite gruesome. I mean, the story is that he, to show his intensity and devotion, chopped off his arm and presented to Bodhidharma and said, please look how serious I am. I want to train with you. I'm hoping that this is just a kind of like a um, very colorful tale. I think it, it must be, you know, but in any case, but it's just like, that shows the intensity of how, how much anguish she was feeling, right? Um, and Bodhidharma said to him, well, okay, bring me your mind and I'll pacify it. Right. And then the second ancestor said to him, I can't find it. I've looked everywhere. Um, and then Bodhidharma said to him, there, I pacified your mind. Um, and I think that this experience that I'm talking about where certain kinds of mental scripts, thoughts, or storylines that we feel so attached to, right? And that we feel like we need to act on, we need to mull them over, we need to ruminate, we need to think, you know, we need to come to some kind of subtle conclusion, like, is this something I need to do something about? This is this is something that goes to the core of who I am. Suddenly like, can feel like it just floats away. I think that's a glimpse of what the second ancestor was getting, it was it. I've looked everywhere for my mind and I cannot find it. It does not mean that he couldn't see they had a lot of thoughts. It doesn't mean that he didn't have 
emotions and sexual fantasies and all the kinds of things that humans have, right? But I think all it means is that after deep examination, he could not settle on any one of those things as being the essence of who he is because he could see that though at certain times they might be very compelling, he might feel tempted to identify with them very intensely, that would never last. You know, it would, it would be something that would come and go. So what we are doing when we return moment after moment to the physical reality, the sensations in the body, is we are returning to reality. We're returning to something that is real, that gives us the ability, a kind of foil to illuminate what is transient, what is passing, which is the contents of the mind, right? Doesn't mean we're gonna stop thinking. Doesn't mean the storylines that we have won't continue to spin out and play their course. But it means that we will begin to be able to see that that isn't necessarily the essence or truth about who I am, because we'll see that like our identification with them comes and goes. It's not something that lasts, not something that is permanent. And we will see more and more that the thing that does last, the thing that can hold all of this is that quality of awareness that we bring to the body and to the thoughts themselves. The thoughts themselves move through that awareness. The body moves through that awareness. It's the awareness itself, which is the only thing that really lasts. So, um, I think the only, the thing that I want to emphasize tonight is the kind of crucial importance, no matter what practice we're engaged in, of dwelling in the body, always returning to the body. It's one of the reasons why, you know, on a regular, at regular intervals, I keep returning to the body scan. Not because the body scan itself is this crucial practice. I don't think I don't think one needs to do body scans in order to practice in a deep way, but I think body scans are a really wonderful way of kind of reminding us of what it feels like to dwell in the body. Um, and that this is where the kind of transformative power of this practice really lies. It's not in just noting thoughts, that's really important, not just in following the breath, but it's really feeling the totality of what our body is doing when we're sitting and in our daily life, moment by moment. And if we can do that, 
not just in the cushion, but in our everyday activities, I think, then our practice is going really well. That's all we need to do. That's all we need to do. Stay awake to how the body is feeling. Um, And of course, to do that, you need to become very attuned to the kinds of thoughts that pull you away from the body, from the present moment. They go together, you know. Um, You need to understand what it is in you, in your personality, that says, no, I don't want to be here with this experience. It's too uncomfortable, or it makes me too afraid, or I'm I'm, I'm too irritable, or I'm too impatient, right? Um, We're going to be pulled away. And of course, the only way to stay with the body in the way I'm talking about is to become very, very familiar with what the mind will do to prevent us from being with the body. So they go together, you know, noting our thoughts, becoming very aware of them, but all ultimately to keep staying in the present moment, the lived reality of the body. Um, Are there any thoughts or questions about um, what I've said tonight or the practice that we did earlier? I think I have a question. Yeah, hi, Kevin. Hi, yeah. So um, I just, I'm aware that like in our, in my conversations with people, there's a lot of talk about like self-esteem or people dealing with the feelings of worthlessness, you know, and then they're trying to find self-esteem or they're trying to stand up for themselves in the past where they've in situations where in the past they've let themselves get you know stepped on in a certain way and i'm i'm just curious like how like what a zen practitioner would say about this considering that for the zen practitioner what you're talking about is you know going for uh, a realization that 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 whole self is is empty so I think the um, the one risk for someone who has um, very low self-regard when it comes to a practice like this is that they might use this practice as a way to further kind of denigrate themselves. Say, oh, my thoughts, my you know, my experience is not important. You know, who I am is not important. And you know, in a way, in a way, like um, to use the idea of no self or the emptiness of the self as a way of further um, um, diminishing right um, their own value but the the important thing i think to note is that that is actually like a a very sort of egocentric you know way of using the practice Um, it is um it's a very negative, you know, picture of the ego, but is still completely revolving around their obsession with their themselves, you know, and low self-esteem in this way is, is still going to be just a kind of certain obsession with self, just a, a, a very negative way of thinking about the self. 
Um, this practice is not about uh, having or not having self-esteem, but seeing that whatever kind of sense of self, whatever stories about the self we may have, that they, as I as I put it earlier, are not the ultimate reality, but we are now who we are, you know, in a very deep sense, you know. Um, and so um, I think it would be fine for a person who has um, problems with self-esteem to engage in certain kind of therapeutic practices, you know, maybe talking with someone to help them feel, you know, a, a little bit better about themselves. You know, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the kind of suffering that that Zen is talking about um, has nothing to do with low high, or high self-esteem. Both forms of self are, are characterized by suffering you know, because they're both illusory, right? They're both mistakes. Um, and so, um, so I think that when you're practicing with your thoughts and, and um, in this way, I think it's important to be as attuned to the compelling quality of like self-denigrating thoughts, as well as self-aggrandizing thoughts. Pride is just as problematic. You know, self-satisfaction. I feel good about myself, right? Um, this is who I am. I am a. I am a. I am a. Um, you know, I am a solid contributor to society. I'm a good father. Those are just as problematic from the point of view as in practice as like, I'm a worthless father, you know, I'm nobody, you know. Um, they're all just grist for the mill. Um, so anyway, I think that's, I, there are other things I could say, but Kevin, is this, is this touching on what you're asking about? Is this like? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think another thing I'll say it's interesting is that um, when Tibetan teachers first encountered Western students, they um, were surprised to discover a kind of dukkha or suffering that they had not encountered before. And it was low self-esteem. They did not have a word in their own language to describe low self-esteem. And, um, and my colleague at Williams, George Dreyfus, was one of the Dalai Lama's first translators. And, and I, I actually asked him, I said, George, like, I've heard this story about what the Dalai Lama said about low self-esteem, but it's hard to believe because I think in our world, low self-esteem like, seems like such a universal problem, right? And George confirmed that, yes, actually took a lot of effort trying to communicate to the Dalai Lama what this thing that we call low self-esteem is. And I think that that goes to show how culturally relative apparently universal forms of human suffering are and that it may have something to do with the way that our society like makes us all compete with each other for value and worth like we need to show that we're special in some way that we stand out right we're doing something that no one else can do or better than other people can do um, um and there's this kind of like who we are is almost like a, a brand or a commodity that you know we need to like prove its value that and um and that it may have a lot to do with the individualistic and capitalistic way our world is structured so there is going to be no purely individual psychological solution to a problem that has its origins in the way our society is structured 
you know. And so um, one of the things that we need to do is start to just sort of see that and see that the whole game of self-esteem is is maybe not the game that we want to be playing, you know. Um, um, Sylvia, and then then we should go. But yeah, hi. just a quick, yeah. uh, just to say, I really appreciated the word you use. These words that I've never heard you say before. You might have said them, and I didn't hear them, but I heard them tonight. Was the infinite awareness that we have within us, and all of a sudden that made everything possible. It just made it so that I can go there, and I know I'll come back. It was that just it just opened up a whole new horizon. Yeah, Thank that's you. great. I'm glad, Sylvia. Yeah. No, and it's interesting how feeling how like sometimes our awareness can feel so constricted, you know, and sometimes it can feel so spacious. I think just becoming familiar with the way that um, that, that can alter. I mean, awareness, the quality of awareness itself will change over time. But I think one of the things that just we can see over time that everything is in flux. The thoughts, the sensations, even our awareness itself, right? Um, and so that we aren't, you know, the things that we identify so closely with, these particular thoughts that really grab us each time, you know, um, you know, if they were really the essence of who we are, it would never, ever fade, you know, it would never, they would always be there. And yet we know what it's like to feel like so deep and like, and then suddenly like feel happy, you know, yeah. like we see something, something happens and we see a flower or we see a friend. It's like nothing is permanent. And yet we want to create these continuities. Like, no, no, who I am is really this, you know, this is, this is, this, this shame, this fear, this ambition, this picture of myself, this is who I really am. But we can start to see over time, like, no, actually it takes a lot of effort to keep that storyline going. And this, this practice is about disrupting. The continuity of that story, all the stories we have. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, it's late. So if you need to go, please go. But if you're if you're able to stay, could we sit for maybe just half a minute together so we can end with silence? Okay, everyone. Thank you. Have a good evening. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Bernie. Thank, Thank you. you, Bernie. Bye, Bye everyone. Thank you. Good night.